0: You're listening to My Cryptid Vacation, Episode 5. The Bigfoot Discovery Museum is located off of Highway 9 in Felton, California. 30 minutes south by car, will take you to the beach and the famous Santa Cruz boardwalk. 30 minutes north will take you deep into Big Basin Redwoods State Park. And 45 minutes east-ish will bring you to the heart of Silicon Valley. But make no mistake, sunny, touristy, and technologically advanced as this slice of California may be, we are in Bigfoot country. Welcome to my cryptid vacation. This is the last episode of the series that takes place while I was still finishing up school and was on a serious schedule. Otherwise, I would have stayed in town catching fish and surviving in the wilderness until the Bigfoot Discovery Museum opened its doors and I could speak with the owner in person. However, I wasn't able to do so, leading to this episode being the most uniquely conceived episode in the series. I left California and drove back to Oregon. Tail between my legs. The interview you'll hear in this episode was conducted two days later. I've been firm in my attempt to report just what I've seen, understood, and researched so far, but I'll have to rely on other reports of the Bigfoot Discovery Museum to fill in the gaps of my own knowledge, having not been able to visit it myself. I've only personally seen the outside of the location and other people's pictures of the inside. For all I know, in the months since those pictures of the inside were taken, the entire location has been retrofitted with a giant trapdoor that plummets unsuspecting tourists to their Bigfoot-themed doom, and I would not know. Though I must admit, after talking to the owner, I find that theory pretty hard to believe. to Felton, California, after some time on the road. A census-designated place of some 4,500 residents, the heavily wooded Felton feels like it might belong in the upper peninsula of Michigan, more than sunny California. Much of the residential areas are single-family homes, up winding drives deep into the trees, while the heart of the town is settled in a relatively flat stretch of grocery stores, boutiques, and cozy cafes. The area isn't immune to Bigfoot fever. A few boutiques sold art that depicted the creature, mostly in tasteful silhouette, and a paper sign hanging in a local cafe warned of a cell-phone-free environment, featuring a hairy ape tearing up a hapless pink phone. We made our way through the tiny downtown, wandering aimlessly. I began to think we must have passed the Discovery Museum. And just then, we rounded a corner and caught a glimpse of the unmistakable building. Outside of the Bigfoot Discovery Museum are many distinctive wooden totems of animals, faces, ape-like creatures, and Bigfoot, including an adorable example of a baby Bigfoot riding on a parent's shoulders. It's a red wooden building, maybe a converted residence, and behind the barred windows are maps of the area. For what it's worth, Fresno, California home of the enigmatic Fresno Nightcrawler, is just a breezy three hours away. The Nightcrawler, seen at least once in Fresno and again at Yosemite National Park, appears as a short body made up mostly of two legs, almost like a walking pair of white pants, which just strolls around minding its own business. Unfortunately, the city didn't make the cut for this trip, as I couldn't find a museum dedicated to the cryptid, perhaps given its relatively recent arrival on the scene, or the scarcity of evidence for its existence. The most recent addition to the outside of this museum, however, seems to be a hanging banner, advertising a GoFundMe. The Bigfoot Discovery Museum charges no admission save for a suggested donation, and doesn't receive state, federal, or local funding. It is a labor of love, kept afloat by the good intention, and immense effort of a single person. It's impossible to talk about the Bigfoot Discovery Museum without talking about its owner, Michael Rugg. Mm. Intrepid explorers who visit the museum might be confused by the sign, which reads capratorus Bigfoot Discovery Museum. capratorus here is in reference to capratorus dulcimers, a business rug worked at with his brother Howard rug, manufacturing, as the name would imply, mountain dulcimers. The mountain, or Appalachian dulcimer, is a folk instrument with, usually, three strings that's Again, usually, played on the lap. It's difficult to make generalizations due to the varied ways of manufacturing and playing the instrument, but the sound is iconic, and without the huge mainstream appeal of, for instance, guitars, it's relatively common for dulcimer players to purchase custom made instruments from local craftspeople, like Capratoris dulcimers. Of course, I was less interested in his musical history when I called up Michael Rugg for a quick interview about his current project, the Bigfoot Discovery Museum. Although he was almost 700 miles away, it really did feel like Rug was in the room with me. Can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for, for speaking with me. I provided a bit of background context for the project, and we got started. And other than that, are you okay? Just kind of jumping right into it.
1: Sure. Yeah, let's
0: go for it. Awesome. Um, so I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your uh, personal info, like uh, what is your name, what is your title at the at the organization.
1: Well, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer. I'm the I am the organization at this point. We we uh, I used to have a lot more volunteers and stuff, when COVID kind of broke things up for a while, and I have uh, now I have a COPD, so I can't get out and around as much as I used to. I have to be hooked up to oxygen. And
0: that's kind of limited
1: the... It uh... the limits what I can do at this point. But previous to now, when we opened in 2004, when the locals started coming in with thick sighting reports, I had some volunteers go with me, and we used to go out and sit in the dark in these various areas where they've been seen before. And we managed to... Uh, Video tape one and audio tapes them several times. We have a tooth that was discovered. Physical
0: evidence, no one. Wow, a lot of. Sorry, uh,
1: I, I forget what your question was.
0: Oh no, just just the kind of uh, like the title you hold and, and and things like that. But it sounds like you're you are the that you are the organization.
1: I am the curator, curator of the museum.
0: What is that? Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of curious the about the history of the location in Felton specifically. Um, was there? I remember I would read on a sign outside about a previous similar installation being in Seattle, and I'm I'm kind of wondering what prompted the relocation to felt in is it is it a a location of bigfoot activity like a a hot spot in that sense or is it kind of more more commercial or you know real estate prices just kind of what what inspired the the history of the location
1: well i don't know what your story about seattle has to do with me oh Uh, i'm not i'm not connected with seattle in any way
0: gotcha yeah i'm i'm sorry i I, I must have been recollecting I thought there was a a plaque on the outside of the museum that had talked about a, a previous bigfoot museum location in seattle but I, I don't mean to to suppose a like a a prior existence. you said that the the location the bigfoot discovery or uh yeah bigfoot discovery was uh in 2004
1: uh, we opened the doors in 2004 yes
0: awesome and uh if I may ask why why felt
1: well, because that's where I live and that's where I own property.
0: All right. Makes sense.
1: And I didn't uh, think there was going to be uh, current ongoing sightings of Bigfoot here. I figured that by now they'd all be gone from here because there were too many people. But as soon as I opened the museum, the locals started coming in with sighting reports. And we started going out and we discovered they are here. So that was just an accidental one. Uh,
2: Really?
0: Yep. What a what a happy coincidence.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm kind of interested in the uh, in the interaction between the the museum and and the local community. Like, is there more of uh more of an antagonistic relationship? Is it um are there like other shops uh, or businesses in the area that are kind of um I don't want to say, like, writing, writing the, uh, writing the current, but kind of affiliating themselves with the museum? Is it kind of beneficial? Like, what does that kind of community interaction aspect look like?
1: Well, the interaction, the interaction is, is very um, there are some people who don't care for the museum. There are people who have thrown bottles through my car window, um, People who have vandalized us in various ways in various times but there are also lots of people who bring their visiting relatives in as a uh, you know a local thing to do and there are some of the locals that have also started carrying a certain number of bigfoot items in their inventories uh, as a result of us being here also.
0: Does that uh does that come as kind of a, a relief like a like a solidarity kind of thing or is it more of a, in in, in your opinion is it more of a, a, a cunning business move? Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to get worked up over trying to control other people. Uh, otherwise, you know, I could freak out and say, oh, you shouldn't be having Bigfoot stuff. That's for me to have, not you. But uh, I don't worry about
2: that. I just, you know, they can have stuff too. There's enough, big enough pie for everybody. Makes
0: sense. Um, kind of concerning the people who, who uh, visit the museum, I'm, I'm kind of curious, do you, in your estimation, are there more people who stop by out of curiosity? Like they've, they've seen a sign or, you know, they've heard a rumor or does it tend to be people stopping by who have intentionally sought the location out? like?
1: Well, it's, it's both. It's both. I've got people who say, uh, I came all the way from San Diego to visit your museum. Or I came all the way down from Santa Rosa to visit your museum. And then uh, other people who I uh, just happened to drive by and saw you. So it's, it's both ways. And the, the lot quite often bring people in. What what uh, what is pretty pretty much uh, steady is that uh, diehard skeptics very seldom come in here. They uh, I suppose they think of us as a scam, and uh, so they they don't uh, enter the place. Those are the ones that throw bottles through the car window and that sort of thing.
0: Really, so it's it's kind of less. I don't know. I I'm I don't mean to. Insert words here. It's there's there's an amount of hostility coming from people who are kind of diehard believers, and not necessarily people who are like vehemently anti anti the museum. Or is it kind of coming from
2: both? Well,
1: the believers in Bigfoot do not have a problem with the museum.
0: No, they like our museum. Gotcha.
1: I've been told by a guy from Fresno that the Bigfoot that he knows down in Fresno said that they like our museum, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: guy, guy in here from Fresno, he was looking at our map, the sightings, he had his wife and two kids with him. I asked him if he had an encounter with a Bigfoot. He said yes, but he never told anyone about it except his wife. So I said, Well, this is the place to do it. And he said, Okay. So he asked his wife to take their kids outside. So they wouldn't hear. And then he told me how he met these Bigfoot. And you know, there's five of them now. And he visits them from time to time. And they speak to him with mind speech. And uh, he told them uh, that he came to this museum and about me in the museum. And they. Told him that they already know about the museum, and that they approved
0: of it. That sounds like a sounds like a seal of approval from the very top.
1: Seal of approval from the Fresno Victory. Huh? Can't ask for more than that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's the, the the gold star. Um. So what are they...
1: The guy also told me that he had been abducted by aliens. And he started to tell me about the aliens. And when his wife came in, I said, Hey, we got to go. We've been here too long. The kids are getting angry. So he said, I got to go now. I said, Well, thanks for sharing. And one last question as you leave Is there some kind of connection between the extraterrestrials and the Bigfoot? He said, Oh, yeah. And he said, the only one who seems to know online is Piwani. I met Kiwani uh, many years ago. He wrote a book called "This Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection.
0: Kiwani, uh, that's, a, that's a name? Yeah, K-E-W-A. The audio cuts out here, and I'm not entirely sure why. It gets kind of distorted and warped. Um, which is kind of odd because I was just holding the recorder. Um, but basically Rug is talking me through the identity of this author. Is it is it worthwhile in your opinion?
1: Well oh, yeah, he's got the interview with uh, lots of eyewitnesses. Huh.
2: Um
0: yeah, sorry, I'm trying to try to throw down um the going on the list. Um yeah, I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious um, about the kind of curation that you do and the kind of work that you do. What have you found to be some of the bigger misconceptions about what it is that you do when you like, you know, explain your position to, to, to people?
1: Well, people don't usually ask me to explain my position because they walk in here, they see me behind the counter, I tell them that I will answer any questions they have about the museum. And we have exchanges, so they don't usually ask me why are you doing this. But occasionally, I suppose. And I just tell them I that saw one, and I know they're real. And that's, and I'm trying to find out what they are.
0: Yeah, a pretty a pretty straightforward reputation. I, um I know you had mentioned about it was kind of more difficult to get volunteers uh, to help out at the museum um, uh, as a result of the pandemic and kind of the, the restrictions that it entailed I'm kind of curious are there any other uh, kind of effects um, that you have you and the museum have kind of experienced uh, as a result of the of the of the covid pandemic
1: well it's it- closed this for a better part of our year is the first effect uh, so people came looking for us and we were closed by the time hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, of course people have to wear masks and that has an effect of what goes in and out of here what goes down um uh, I can't think of anything else mm-hmm.
2: to say about
0: that. Yeah, that sounds sounds about part and parcel. Um, I'm kind of curious. and if, if this isn't, uh, if this isn't, you know, if this gets too personal, please uh, feel free to feel free to, you know, not not answer. Um, no, no hard feelings. I'm kind of curious about your prior jobs. Like, what what did you do prior to curation? And is this kind of where you saw yourself ending up um, when you were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago? Is this kind of the direction that you, you thought your career would go?
1: Well, I did, uh, used to kid about having a Bigfoot Museum at some time in my life, many years ago. So that ended up coming to be. But it wasn't <laughs> like uh, I planned it all out or anything. Before this, I worked... Uh, here in Felton with my brother and we manufactured Mountain Dulcimers. We had a day shift and a night shift so we turned out over twenty thousand units over a ten year span. And that's what we used to do here and then the museum at that time was a well it started when I got out of school I opened it up as a as an art gallery. And then over time, it turned into a music store. And then I took a job uh, pushing pixels, over in Silicon Valley for several years <laughs> at a branding agency. And uh, then when that went down after the at the turn of the century, when the first dot com thing failed, I came back to Felton and I decided I'm not going to go back there and do. Uh, you know, graphic arts and stuff. I'm going to open
0: a Bigfoot museum, and that's when that happened. So the the kind of initial the before you were in, in Silicon Valley, it was kind of like several stages of you know art gallery, music store. Um, has has your uh, I mean, has the Bigfoot Discovery Museum been more or less consistent in its and it's kind of recent history in terms of you know what is uh, like the items, the objects, the the kind of uh, story that it tells.
1: I would say so. yes. Yeah. Now people do occasionally uh, get gifts, uh, some object for the museum. but The majority of the stuff in here I've collected over the years, starting in nineteen fifty-two. Life magazine did a big uh, spread on the abominable snowman. And that's when I started collecting articles. I got a scrapbook. I still have it. Plus another two file drawers full of stuff.
0: How much of your uh, personal collection would you say is on display at the museum?
1: Well, most of the. uh, the solid objects that are worthy of looking at are on display. But I do have two full file cabinets full of paperwork having to do with this. Printouts and pamphlets and magazines and um, articles and so on, so on, so on.
2: Wow. And then
1: I have... uh, Oh, uh, a whole story full of boxes full of
0: stuff related to the suit. That's, uh, you know, more difficult to display or uh, isn't quite conducive to, like, a, a visual format?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, just, I made a choice of how to lay it out. I've got it laid out, so it kind of tells a story. If you come in and you see the Obama snowman traps on Everest to begin with, which is what started people being aware of it. And then you go around the room and you see some pop culture stuff. And then you start seeing actual footprint casts from various sources and then you see the Patterson film, of course. And Bob Gillen who was with Patterson, he came and stayed here with us for a weekend. So we heard all the details on that from the man was actually there. And Tawani has been here. And Dr. Mel Drum, a professor from Idaho State who studies Bigfoot, has been here a couple of
0: times. Sounds pretty star-studded.
1: Yeah, we've had most of the, big, the Bigfoot stars have come to visit here at one time or another.
0: Huh. I'd imagine that that's a, I don't know, a, a, a pretty good feeling.
1: One of the, uh, the, uh, the effects
0: of having a museum is it attracts other people with the same mindset. I'm, um, Oh, am sorry. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to kind of say, is that one of your, is it like kind of one of the highlights of, of running, uh, a place like this? Um, and kind of, you know, along with that, uh, what are like some of like the what are some of like the best parts of the kind of work you do like in your in your estimation?
1: Well, the best part, of course, are the, the people I meet, and uh, I meet lots of nice people and good people, and a few not too nice also. But mostly, it's just the good kind that come in. Most of the skeptics don't even—they're not even going to come in. They're too skeptical to come in. They think it's a scam. Uh but meeting people hearing their their encounter stories and all that that's the great pleasure
0: I get from it. Hmm. and then I guess uh you know conversely uh in in your experience, what have been kind of the some of the biggest challenges in in uh, running and, and operating a museum like the like the bigfoot uh-huh. discovery museum well.
1: I have a note on the property, and I have an $800 interest payment I have to make every month. And at some point, if they ask for that to be paid back, I'm going to have to sell in order to pay them. So I'm not looking forward to that happening, but uh, that's coming up just in a few months. I don't know what's going to happen. So I have a GoFundMe project online hoping to gather more cash to
0: help pay the mortgage off it was coming in pretty good for a while but it's kind of slowed down now hmm well I will I'll uh, I'll try to make mention of that in my kind of uh, I don't know in my section about about the Bigfoot Discovery Museum um I guess in that in that kind of GoFundMe vein, I'm I'm curious about the the marketing that you you do for the museum. Are there um, what kind of like outreach do you do uh, in terms of you know like more retro or more online methods, or or do you find that kind of traffic well, just comes I in? Don't, I don't. Uh, I don't
1: publicize or advertise the museum on purpose. That happens for me automatically. But being how it's fairly unique, other people, you know, put it on their websites, and link to it and stuff. I don't have to do much to, to get people in here. That takes care of itself.
0: Hmm. So it's like it's uh, less of a. Oh, sorry.
1: But I do uh, occasionally go on. Interviews locally, um, radio interviews, and so forth. Uh, Of course, that helps. That brings people in. To where I've got people coming because I heard you on the radio the other day. That's why I'm here. So that
0: does happen. But otherwise, there
1: was an article article in the um, the Washington Post, I think it was. They had an article about Santa Cruz County, and they mentioned the Bigfoot Museum. I understand they have my picture in there. <laughs> I haven't seen the article
0: yet. The uh, the mystique of the location is truly truly something to behold.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, I'm. I suppose that's kind of the the end of the, the formal questions that I, I you know, like the beats that I'm trying to hit. Um, I guess, uh, just because I've, I've kind of asked everyone who's, who's spoken with me this last question, and, you know, you can you can answer it however you'd like. Um, have you had personal experience with what you would describe as uh, the supernatural? Well,
1: I, I saw a Bigfoot when I was four years old. Looked it right in the eyes. So uh, if you want to consider seeing a Bigfoot as part of that, then yes. Other than that, I've seen a few UFOs, but, uh, you know, those are just unexplainable objects in the sky, and I don't know what to think of those. But that's it. I've never experienced a ghost in person or anything else like that. But that's about it.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I'm... I don't know.
0: I'm worried. I'm worried about ghosts. I, I hope I don't see a ghost. Yeah, I don't
1: know about that.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I honestly those that's kind of kind of it for me. Um, if there's okay. anything else that you'd you'd like to kind of you know talk about or, or put on the record, now is now is your time. Um, but I don't want to keep you any longer than your your. Nah, I can't think of anything. No, I was about
1: to head into the back room.
2: Back. Yeah,
0: okay. I um again I wanted to thank you so much for, for talking with me. Um I can uh I don't know if I'll re- be reaching out when the when the kind of the report is, is finalized, but if you're Yeah, um, when you get it
1: all done, please link up to me somehow so I can check it out.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely will. Um thank you so much for talking with me and I uh I hope all goes well with that uh the GoFundMe attempt. Five episodes into my cryptid vacation, and having teased some questions at the beginning, it's my duty here to at least acknowledge some of them in relation to what we've seen so far on this trip. First off, the museums and attractions we've seen are, with one exception, in the boonies. The mystery spot is, I mean, it's in the woods, but near a popular tourist attraction, which makes sense if you see it as a derivative version of the vortex designed to piggyback onto the popular areas popularity. Even so far, the managers of these institutions have been of all stripes. We've had hands-off local business people and dedicated single owners, attractions both community-supported and privately owned. Some are founded in the past two decades recent, while others are old enough that your grandma might have visited when she was nine. None are ancient, but none are extremely recent, either. As simple as it would be, and as much as I thought there would be when I set out on this project, there isn't one kind of attraction, one kind of owner, or one kind of museum. Each of these locations is steeped in local history, indisputably attached to the geography in a way that can feel foreign to those of us from dime-a-dozen suburbs or kaleidoscopically shifting urban areas. The string that ties them together is an eagerness, and an earnestness about the mysterious and the adventurous. The places wish to make plain the hidden, and do a bit of edutainment while they're at it. Bigfoot, by far the most common cryptid that we've seen, and in fact will see, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'll be holding off on our furry friend until we've visited a few more locations, but already we seek Bigfoot as codified cultural heritage, baked into the identity and landscape of a town and its surrounding area, as well as the focus of one specific person. Tourist money, donations, merchandise, museums and attractions of this type are certainly an investment, and as we saw at the mystery spot, not always a welcome one. By the end of the trip, we'll have an idea of just what cryptids can represent, on both an individual scale and a societal one. This is the tip of the iceberg, and there's a lot more to uncover. Join me next time for an epic, okay, stupidly long journey from Wisconsin to New Mexico to Georgia to Maine. We begin at the northern edge of Wisconsin to investigate a myth over a century old and answer an extremely pressing question. What the heck is a Hodag? We dive into lumberjack legend on the next episode of My Cryptid Vacation.
2: I will twine and will mingle my raven black hair With roses so red and the lilies so fair And the myrtle so green of an emerald hue and eyes, lips, so blue.
0: My Cryptid Vacation is a podcast recorded, edited, and produced by me, Clovis. If you like what I do, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash Clovis the Fox. Special thanks to Michael Ruck for taking the time to speak with me. The outro music is a cover of Wildwood Flower a folk song after the version by the Carter family.
2: My the sample of dulcimer music is
0: from baremeadow.com. My Cryptid Vacation is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License.
2: Flower, a blossom to cheer him through life's weary hour. Now he has gone and he's left me alone, the wildflowers to weep and the wild birds to moan. I'll dance and I'll sing and my life will be gay. I'll banish this weeping, drive troubles away. I'll live yet to see him regret this dark hour When he won and neglected this frail wildwood flower